Hi, I'm Michael Sunoff, founder and CEO of HardToFindSeminars.com. For the last five years, I've interviewed the world's best business and marketing minds. Along the way, I've created a successful publishing business, all from home, from my two-car garage. When my first child was born, he was very sick, and it was then that I knew I had to have a business that I could operate from home. Now my challenge is to build the world's largest free resource for online downloadable MP3 audio business interviews. I knew I needed a site that contained strategies, solutions, and inside angles to help you live better, to save and make more money, to stay healthier, and to get more out of life. I've learned a lot in the last five years, and today I'm going to show you the skills you need to survive. How many copies of Think and Grow Rich did you sell over the years? Seven million. Was that your number one seller? Yes. Did it get on the bestseller list? Yes. Hi, it's Michael Sinoff with Michael Sinoff, HardToFindSeminars.com. In this interview, you're going to hear from a mail-order icon. His name is Melvin Powers. He discovered he had the Midas touch for book publishing when he was only 16 years old. After Melvin ordered a book on chess from a popular science magazine, he decided to try selling books to earn some extra money. So he enlisted his family, set up shop from his living room, and discovered an instant success formula for selling books by mail using small classified ads. And in this three-part, three-hour-long interview, you'll hear Melvin's incredible story along with his step-by-step formula for success. Even though he sold more books than most people can imagine, Melvin says that books are really just a calling card for seemingly endless amounts of back-end deals that you can make from them. And Melvin shares how he makes serious money selling and upselling from his books. He also also shares the marketing secrets that have made him an icon in the direct mail distribution and book publishing field. Here's just some of what you'll get from this interview. How much of a markup you'll need in order to make a worthwhile profit from your book sales. How to make deals with magazines so that you're not paying their outrageous advertising rate. How to write ads that sell and what line Melvin added that instantly increased his sales. What to sell on the back end to make the real money. Everything you need to know about royalties and making deals with authors and self-publishers. What kind of guarantee Melvin offers and what you should always do if someone returns merchandise for a refund. How Melvin has adapted to the skyrocketing cost of printing and postage. Melvin Powers is a living legend because he seems to instinctively know where the market is headed and how to adapt to it. And in this audio series, you'll hear how he does it. You'll hear how he tests and retests his products and what he does with the results. You'll hear how he negotiates licensing deals, keeps his eye on the big picture, and never lets fear get in his way. So even if you're not interested in making a living from books, you may still want to listen to this audio interview series. Even an expert can learn a lot from this marketing genius. Part one of this interview is my first interview with Melvin. Parts two and three is Melvin answering questions from my hardtofindseminars.com students. Now let's get going, and I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did putting it together for you. Are you still an information junkie? 
I still am. I'm at it every single day, all day, and I love it. And uh, it's my life. That, that is great. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking some time to share. Happy to do it. Start from the beginning. I want you to just give me a rundown on how did this all come about? Where did you get your very start in the book business, or maybe it was the information products business or the mail order business? It was in the book business. I got started when I was 16 years old. Where are you from originally? I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. And when did you move out to L.A.? Many moons ago. Okay. What brought you to Southern California? Well, I would see the Rose Bowl tournaments, and I said to myself, I'm going to move to California one day and start my mail order business. But I'll tell you how I got into the mail order business. I used to play a lot of chess when I was 16 years old. I was into playing chess. And I saw a classified ad in a magazine that was popular science. Do you want to win a chess? And, of course, all chess players want to win a chess. And I send away for it. And with that book came some circulars about other books. So I said to myself, gee, that's interesting. I read the chess book. And one of the circulars in that chess book was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So I sent away for that book and some others. And when I got that book and started reading and I was getting more literature from this company, I said, gee, this would be a nice hobby for me. I think I'd like to do the same thing. And I came out here to California in about 1950. So I was in the mail order business working it out of my home. It was my hobby. I was still going to school. What was your very first product or book that you acquired to sell? I wrote to the publishers of these other books. It was about the same books that I'm publishing now. It was How to Win a Chess, How to Win a Poker, Bridge Bidding Made Easy, Calligraphy Made Easy, How to Tell Jokes, How to Win at the Races. So it was all these how-to books. So I started carrying those books. And I was doing just fine, and I was doing great at it with the orders, and I was running classified ads like the other company, and it was going great. The business was going just fine. How great was it going for a 16-year-old kid in the 1950s? I was $1,000 a month after I got going. I had the family helping me. We were doing it all from my kitchen table. And one of the rooms in my house turned into my storeroom. And you started in Boston, right? Right, I started in Boston. Okay, so you're still living at home with your parents? I'm still living at home, still going to school. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're still in high school. I'm still in high school. Were your parents supportive? Oh, yes, they thought it was great. It was just a fun thing to do, shaking out that money out of the envelopes. Was a lot of it cash, or were people writing well, checks? a lot of it was cash. And in fact, one of the lines of my ads was, would you like to feel of shaking out cash checks and money orders out of envelopes sent to you every day? It's like hitting the lottery every day. And then before I came out to California, I had stopped the business because it was interfering with my schoolwork because I was spending my spare time and the family's spare time. It was a business, and I wanted to continue my education, so I stopped that. But when I came out here, the point is I had the formula, and I knew how to do it. There was no question in my mind because I just had to pick up where I left off before, so I started to run ads in magazines and practically every single consumer magazine where they had a classified section, I was running classified ads on various subjects, such as, do you want to win at poker? Send for free information. They had send them a circular. Do you want to win at the races? Send for free catalog. 
So I started to do that, and that started off just fine at day one. Can I ask you, was that part of the formula a two-step, a classified ad that didn't try and sell the book, but that just asked if you want more free information? And what would they do? They would call a number and leave their information on a phone? or They would send it in. I wasn't using the phone. At that oh, they would mail it in an envelope and say, send more information. Or a postal card. A postal card was only penny or two cents then. Sent for free information. It was always a classified ad plus free details of how to win a poker, how to win at the races, how to develop a better speaking voice, how to get rich. Tell me a couple secrets of the classified ads that work for your formula. And is your formula still work today? Could it work today for anyone who wants to get into the mail order business? Yes, it's still working. I thought you'd never ask me. In fact, I'll tell you something interesting about the classified ads. I don't know if you know it, but I wrote a book called Making Money with Classified Ads. No one had ever written a book about making money with classified ads. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. <laughs> there were hundreds of classified ads going, and one day I got the idea. I don't know where it came from, just by doing it, being creative. Ideas come to you, and I wrote this book, which everyone loves. Making money with classified ads has been a big hit. How big of a hit? For instance, how many of those books have you sold since you started publishing them? A couple them? hundred thousand. A couple hundred thousand. What does that book sell for? Twenty dollars. Twenty bucks. I assume it can't cost too much to print. No, it's about a five dollar bill. For those who want to get into the book publishing business and book selling business, if you publish a book, you have to have at least a four or five to one markup. And with the book cost you five dollars, it's going to cost itself for twenty dollars. All right, so that's how you started with classified ads. With the two-step ad, and then from the two-step ad, where a magazine didn't have a classified ad section, I started running one-inch display ads. Interested in self-improvement books, interested in getting rich and mail over, interested in winning at the races, sent for free catalog. And at one time I had a catalog of 224 pages in all types of subjects. It was like a five-and-a-half, eight-and-a-half book. So I had all these categories in there, and that was a big winner. To begin with, I was selling other people's books, and then I started to publish these books myself. Anyways, I needed the books, and there were plenty of books around. So getting back to the one-inch display ads, so I was running the one-inch display ads, and that proved very, very successful because they're sending out for free details, and actually I saved all the names and did mailings to these people. Were you meticulously testing back in those days before computers? No, I was keeping very careful records. I ran an ad in whatever magazine it was, Field and Stream, and the ad cost $50 for one-inch ad. How many inquiries did I get? And everything was keyed. In other words, Department 1, Department 2, Department 3, and 4, and so forth. Then I kept a record of how many orders I got from that particular magazine. If I was running in the National Enquirer, I had that keyed. I had everything keyed so I would know exactly if the ad was making it, if the ad didn't make it, then I would stop it. And then from the one-inch ad, I went to a sixth of a page. The sixth of the eight-and-a-half, eleven page becomes a five-inch ad by one column. So is it true the larger the ad is, the more inquiries you'll get? Well, at that time, for the five-inch ad, I started to run some ad copy because there was too much to spend for just an inquiry. Started to run some ad copy, but I found out that that wasn't great. So I went into the full-page ads. For the books that you were doing well, I went to the full-page ads. Now, I had an original book I wrote called The Secret of Bowling Strikes. 
There was a magazine called Bowling Magazine and some other magazine. I ran that ad for about 10 years. And don't forget off that one book, I was selling other books, and then I did The Secret of Bowling Strikes as a record and sold that for $10. This book that sold originally for $2, the back end of it was a $10 record, and I sold a ton of those, and then I put it on tape. And then with these ads, I got what the listeners would like to hear about. I got PI deals. I don't know if you know, but I still published 70 horse books. And I ran the magazines, and then I wrote to the magazines, called the advertising manager, told them I like a PI deal. Explain to the listeners what a PI deal is. Well, for every order that I got, I would send the magazine 50% of it. So if I got an order for $10, I'd send the magazine $5 or $20, and send them $10. They would run the ad. Have you ever seen a blank page in any magazine? So they fill it up with something. If they don't have anything, they'll do a public relations page for somebody or a charitable page for somebody. So this has them running something, and every ad was keyed, and I paid them, and I said, we can have the ads come to you, and then you can send them to me, and I'll give you the right count. So that went on for years, and we ran key ideals. I don't know if you have my book, How to Get Rich in Mail Order. I showed the eight and a half by 11 ads that I was running, and I had PI deals with loads of magazines because I was paying off, and they were happy about it. So that formula was working, and when they didn't want to do it, I would run the ads. I ran an entrepreneur magazine. Well, for two years, I ran my book on how to get rich in meal on a full-page ad. It paid off every single time. Was that P.I.? You know, I was paying for that. Then they raised the price too much, and it wouldn't pay off. So I asked if they wanted a P.I. deal. They said, no, not everyone is going to say yes. I ran a golf magazine. I published a book called The Secret of Perfect Putting. I ran that in that golf magazines, had P.I. deals all over. You notice all these the secret of perfect putting, the secret of bowling strikes. People want to know what the secret is. I have a book that sells very well by U.S. Anderson called The Three Magic Words and also The Secret of Secrets. People want to know. That headline absolutely works, The Secret of. Yes. In other words, one of my headlines was, Have you ever bowled a strike and said, I got it? And I did that same business. Have you ever taken a practice golf swing at a dandelion? Everybody who plays golf has done it, and the swing is perfect until you get on the golf course. Let's say that I was the advertising manager. What would you say to me to approach me? How would you approach me for a PI deal? I would run an ad that was paying off. In other words, you could be an eight-and-a-half, 11-sheet of paper that you're sending out with your classified ads or one-inch ads. Don't let them test the ad. You test the ad to make sure that it's working. So this way, when an ad was working in a magazine, and this is all kinds of magazines, you say to them, I have another ad on concentration, or I have an ad on sticking to a diet. I had a book I used to publish called Available to the Public at Last, The Secret of Sticking to Your Diet. 30 days free trial. But when you have an ad that's working, or would you like to have a photographic memory? See, all these questions that you get a yes answer. When I knew that it was working, of course, then I sent it to the magazines and it worked for them as well, but all ads peter out after a while, so you have to offer them something else. And when I called, they know who I was. 
Then I could say, well, I'm running a PI deal with this magazine and that magazine. So they knew that there was a bona fide ad. But when you initially approached them, did you do it by phone or by letter? I did it both ways. I called up the magazine, would tell them who I was and what I've been doing. And did you pay them what percent on the PI? I paid 50%. So I gave them half, say the product cost me $5. I was making 25% of whatever it sold for. So it was working for me, it was working for the magazine. So that's how I did that. Then I was running full page ads all over. I was running in the Los Angeles Herald Express, the Daily News, the Los Angeles Times. I ran ads for years in all the tabloids, but after a while the tabloids didn't pay off. So you really see a full page ad on a tabloid anymore. It's just too expensive. What happens is with the magazines that the circulation got less and the ads cost more money so you couldn't come out. Then instead of that I did direct mail. Try a mailing list, you know, try a test mailing, and the listeners should know that you shouldn't do a test mailing, or at least I didn't do it with three or five or ten thousand. You sometimes can't buy a mailing list less than three thousand names. Okay, send out five hundred of them, see what happens. Is that a good test, do you think? Five hundred will tell you. It was for me, if not if you rent council, send out a thousand. So you went to mail order because you were having a hard time making the full page ad pay off? Or because well, I was always in mail order. Right, but you weren't going to direct mail. No, I wasn't because the other was paying fine. The other thing that you can do, well, I'm talking about ad copy right now, but it's important when you're running the full page ad, whether you're doing direct mail, you can do it in direct mail, running it in space or running it on the Internet, they run what is known as a split run. In other words, if a magazine has a circulation of 500,000, they'll run 250. You can give them one ad and for the other 250, some other ad. But use the same ad and test the price, test the ad copy, test the headline, but only test one element at a time. Yeah, what have you found the magic price to be on your books? Your books have all different well, prices. Well, they started out at $2, and now we're at $15 and $20. And now I have a set of books that sell for $30, a lot of success. Did you do all your own copywriting? Well, I tried to get copywriters, but couldn't get what I wanted because they really didn't have the feel that I wanted. And I knew everybody in the mail order business, so I'd send them the ad and say, what do you think of this? And they were happy to do it, and I was happy to do it for them. But regardless of the price that I paid, I couldn't get the winning elements because you really have to be a student of mail order to know what's going on. So I paid high fees for it and didn't get the results. <laughs> you paid high fees to copywriters who said they could write a winning ad. Correct. But what you're saying is your understanding of the marketplace is more important than any talent a copywriter has. Well, I'm not saying every copywriter. I'm sure there are lots of good copywriters. But if Eugene Schwartz, who wrote the book, breaks your advertising, and now even with a great copywriter, every ad that every copywriter writes isn't a hit. And I don't want the, your listeners to think the ad that I wrote was a big hit. Well, I'm sure you had a lot of failures, too. Of course. And sometimes you can't figure it out. I'd send it out because I knew everybody in the mail order field. I would say, now, this ad isn't making it. Do you have any tips? Did you know Eugene Schwartz? Yes, I knew him. He lived in New York. You knew of him through the mail order business? Through the mail order business. I knew everybody in California better. I knew Joseph Carson very well. When it came to copywriting, did you study any mentors of copywriting to hone your skills, or did you just pick it up? So I read the books on advertising. And mail order, if there was any books, there weren't too many books on mail order advertising. 
but I read all the books that I possibly could, and that's how I learned the advertising business. Which ones really stood out to you and impacted you that really influenced you writing-wise? There's a book that I finally published. It's called How to Write a Good Advertisement, a Shot Course in Copywriting by Victor Schwab. Right, right. I'm looking at it here. That's a book that I really love, and before I sit down to write copy, I would read that book. One of the great copywriters out here was Joe Cabo, and I once did a seminar with him, in fact. It was at the Orange Coast College, and the place was just jammed. How many people did he have there, do you remember? It was filled up. Hundreds of people came, and we had to turn away people. But writing ad copy is trial and error. If you see some ads that are repeating, you know there are some elements in there that are working. In fact, Joe Cabo used this line that I borrowed from him, and it said, I will not cash a check for 30 days. And I said to Joe one day, can I use that line? He said, be my guest. And I did, and that increased the response that I got because you weren't cashing the check and there were minimal people that ever returned it. In fact, I went to one-year money-back guarantee because no one ever returned. If I sold a thousand copies of a book, maybe one person returned it, but I doubt it. So you'd recommend, if I'm going to be selling a book and I'm going to wonder, well, what should my guarantee be, you would recommend me go for a one-year guarantee? That's what I use. If someone did, I'd ask why. If someone returned the book and didn't like it, it's a learning experience. It's send back the check. If they have a phone call, say, I'd like to talk to you. Can you tell me why you returned the book? And use that feedback because that's very, very important to you. If some of my ads weren't making it, I sent it to the people that I knew, like Joe Cosman, Joe Cabo. I sent it to people that I knew in the mail order business say, this ad isn't working. And sometimes you can't find the answer. Okay, so you can go on to the next one. What would you consider essential to building trust with your customers? Well, offer the money back guarantee and offer good value because all the value is there and the information is there and you're not sending them something that isn't working or a good book. Over the many, many years, the millions of books I've sold, I get virtually no return. Has your business been steadily growing over the years? Do you have ups and downs? All businesses have ups and downs according to my own determination. Right now, the marketplace is not great. The mail order business is not great at this particular time because there's the economy which is bad. Well, how does your business look today? How many employees do you have? Well, I don't have a big staff. I used to have two dozen employees. Now I have a dozen people. And you're in Chatsworth, California? Chatsworth, California. How long have you been in that location where you're at now? Three years. I moved to smaller quarters. What mentors have you had throughout your life that's really influenced you? I've read all the mail-order books, so the people who wrote mail-order books, I read them all. Any one favorite? I would say How to Write a Good Advertisement is uh, Victor Schwab is a great book. But you learn something from all the books. How about Claude Hopkins stuff? I read everybody. I went to the library, got on all the books. There wasn't only one particular author that did it, but being in the field and getting to know everybody, I found out that way. And with some of the mail order people here, we used to meet on occasion and talk about mail order. And Joseph Cosman was great. How I made a million dollars in mail order. His ad copy was great, and I knew him very well. Well, we all knew each other very well. Did you ever put on seminars like him? <laughs> Are you kidding? No, no, I was doing seminars for years. Oh, my goodness. 
I did it for years until I got tired of doing it. You traveled all over the country? Not all over the country, but I was here in Los Angeles. At the time that I was in New York and I was in Florida, when I went on my vacation, I would run a seminar. And I'm from Boston, so I run a seminar in Boston and New York and Florida. So were they one-day seminars? One-day seminars. Did you charge a good price for them? Well, I charged $100 for the course. Well, we can't talk about everything at one time. Well, the, back in, locally, of all my courses were the cassette tape programs. I had a cassette tape program on how to get rich and mail or sold for $75. Oh, you mean the back end in the books, right? The back end in the books. And then, are you aware that I had a TV show? No, tell me about that. When did that start? I don't remember exactly when, but maybe about 10 years ago or more, I had a TV show, and it was called The Mail Order Millionaire, and I was on TV. Was it an infomercial? It was an infomercial. Oh, so you had an infomercial going, okay, selling your course. Yes, I had an infomercial going on on my course exam for years. It started out as a $300 package, then $200 and $100, and I ran that for years until I wore it out. I had that going for many years. And that was all yours? You controlled everything on that? Oh, yes, yeah. You know, the ads and doing it, and it was great. But all these things finally went away. They died down. Yeah, they died down. That's natural, and I was selling products on TV. Then I got back to the book business, which was my first love. Do you think in this time of the information age and the time of digitized and digital products that mail order will still flourish? Oh, yes. I'm not doing as big as I used to do because I was running ads all over the magazine. But now, actually, I'm on the Internet, and there's lots of competition, but that means that it's working. What do you think it is that people really like about having a book rather than maybe a digital product? Well, I like books personally. I like to sit in my easy chair and read a book. And I've probably read every single book that there is on mail order. And I enjoy that, and I enjoy looking at the ads and taking my time about it. So I like books. So do you think there'll ever be a time where e-books and digital books will replace books? I don't think so. Yeah. Let's say I want to come out with my own book. What recommendations would you have for the size of the book or the format of the book or the cover? Should I go with hardcover, softcover? Have you tested size of books and what appeals to most people? I'm doing all my mail order books in eight and a half, eleven size. Is that called trade paperback? The trade paperback is five and a half, eight and a half. Then it's trimmed so it could be a quarter inch there, but say it's five and a half, eight and a half. I published a book called How to Write a Good Advertisement by Victor Schwab, and my book, How to Self-Publish Your Book, you have the fun and excitement of being a best-selling author. That's eight and a half by eleven. What's the advantage in that size? Why do you choose that oh, size? Because I can show my ads in there very, very easily. Oh, good answer. And then it's a $20 product. Right, so because it's bigger, you can get a little more money for it. Yes, you can get more money for it, but truthfully, I think... How do you handle all your printing? Where's all your printing done? It's all done in Los Angeles. Have you been using the same printer for many years, or do you have a couple... I've been using the same printer for many years and the same person that has my account. In fact, his name is Roger Butson. I can give you his phone number. But you'd recommend anyone interested in getting a printer to print a book this man is experienced. He's handled my account for years. It's Roger Butson. His area code is 714, and the phone number is 289 
And how successful was that book for you over the years? <laughs> well, seven million copies strong. Seven million copies of that book? Over the years, yes. Do you know when Napoleon Hill was marketing it, how many had he sold? Do you know? Uh, I don't know that answer. Can you remember when you decided to pull that out of public domain and publish that and add that to your collection? What sparked that? I knew, well, the book is an old book. I knew it was in public domain, and I published the book, and it's been a very big hit ever since. You call right to the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., and they'll do a search for you to tell you if it's in public domain or not. And a lot of my books are in public domain. You never met Napoleon Hill? I met him one time, and I went to his lecture. He was lecturing in California, and I went to the lecture and met with him after that, and we had a lovely conversation, and it was great, but I only met him one time. Did you have a gut feeling about business, and if you had a gut feeling, would you just go on that feeling? Well, correct, I'd go on that gut feeling, and my books are basically in the same area that I started in, the self-help inspiration. In other words, change your voice, change your light, charisma, how to get that special magic. Dynamic Thinking is a book that I wrote, and I stole that idea from the power of positive thinking. <laughs> right. The God of Rational Living is Albert Ellis' book. I did a book called How to Attract Good Luck. That title by itself, it's a gut feeling that that book is going to go. Was that a big title? No, it has not been a big title. I've sold a lot of books, but it's not been a big title. So the books on luck, are they generally not that big of a seller? Well, I've sold a lot of copies of the book, but I didn't have too much luck with it. It's not one of my best sellers. Here's a book, The Magic of Getting What You Want. That's by David Schwartz, who wrote a book called The Magic of Thinking Big. Do you know that book? The Magic of Thinking Big, yes, I've heard of that. Well, I sold a million copies of that book. David Schwartz wrote that? David Schwartz wrote that book. All right, so did you license that from him? How did that work? I licensed that from the publisher. Oh, so he wasn't the publisher. No, he was not the publisher. I did first a book of his called The Magic of Thinking Success. I did an original book with him with that title that does very well. So give me a specific example. What I'm trying to get out of you is we have listeners who maybe are too lazy to write their own book or don't want to do that, but they want to find an expert and they want to license their work, whether it be a book or a tape series or a license from a publisher. So using that example of David Schwartz, you licensed from the publisher. Had the book died down at that time and then you approached them? Oh, they saw that I was doing so well with the book that they wanted the book to cancel the license. Oh, they came to you. Well, no, I went to them originally, but when I sold a million copies of the book, they said they should be publishing the book, so really that was ever done for me. I see. So really, people knew that you could move books. I mean, it wasn't like you had to beg for licensing well, deals. Here's a book that no one knew was a hit, Psycho-Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Moss. Okay, tell me the whole story about that. How did that start? Was that selling before you acquired it? Well, the book came out in hardcover, and it wasn't selling. And the company that originally published it was going to drop the book. And I went to the bookstore. My habit was and still is going to bookstores to see if I can find some gems. So I picked up that book and I said to myself, this book is a gem. Why isn't this in soft cover? And I asked the person at the desk, how's the book selling? They said, it's not selling. And the book was not selling. It did not sell. 
It got lost in the shuffle. And when I called up and said, I'm Melvin Powers, and I'd like to publish your book, Psycho Cybernetics, they said, great. And I got it for next to nothing. How do you arrange a deal? What does that look like? You approach the publisher. You say, I'm interested in publishing your book. You give in advance a couple of thousand dollars. You pay him a couple thousand dollars? Yes, against royalty. Say the royalty is 10%. Against 10% royalties, and after you use up the royalties, then you start to pay. Say you paid them $3,000, $5,000, whatever it was. Then after you use up that amount, then you start to pay royalties every year. So is it 10% of the gross sales? Yes, if the book sells for $10, you'll be paying a dollar royalty. Say you spend $5,000 in debt, that'd be sold 5,000 books. I see. Did you have to meet a performance like with an agreement? No. no. Who retained the copyright on that? The Maxwell Mall. So he retained the copyright, and you were just a reseller of it. I was a reseller of it. And you did it in paperback. I did it in paperback, and I knew it was a hit. I also visited him in New York. Maxwell Mall was a plastic surgeon in New York, and I visited him. And he said to me, Melvin, I'm tired of doing plastic surgery, and I'd like to lecture throughout the country on this book. Psychosabinetics, I said to him, Dr. Maltz, I can do that for you. <laughs> you were already selling the book at that time? Right, I had the book, and it was going great. I said, I can get you as many lectures as you want, and I did, and I had him going around the country. He was giving lectures, but also selling the book, but that wasn't his main purpose. He just loved lecturing on the psychosabinetics. It's a self-limit psychology book. So he was very happy with that. How many of those books did you sell? Over the years, five million. Five million? Over five million copies of the book. Wow. But when books go, they go. They asked me about a book, The Secret Overcoming Verbal Abuse. That's Dr. Albert Ellis. And we have a book called Guide to Rational Living by Dr. Albert Ellis and Robert Harper. I sold a million and a half copies of that book over the years. What's been your number one seller out of everything? Think of Real Rich. And how many of those have you done? Over 7 million. The second one would be Psycho-Cybernetics. Were you a workaholic? Well, I was giving seminars on mail order. I taught at every community college in the Los Angeles area. So I was giving seminars in mail order. I was giving seminars in Psycho-Cybernetics. I was giving seminars on self-publishing how to self-publish your book and have the fun excitement of being a best-selling author. So I was busy at all the community colleges as well as I was guest speaker at UCLA, USC, speaking about books, speaking about mail order, speaking about how to get your book published. That was fun. So I was working six days a week. But it was fun to you. How many kids do you have? I have two. You got boys or girls? I have one girl and one boy, and they're not in the mail order business. <laughs> <laughs> what do they do? One does websites, and the other is in the building business. Very good, very good. So it isn't very good. I want them to be in the business. I've got a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, and my eight-year-old I don't think is going to be interested, but I think my five-year-old is going to be interested in working with me. He likes to make money. Everybody has to find out his own niche. Yeah, that's right. Everyone's different. Correct. You find out what your kids like, and you just encourage them whatever they want to do. Of course. Yeah, what did your parents do? My dad was a clothing manufacturer, and he wanted my oldest brother and yours truly to go into the schmacker business, and it was in it as I was growing up and helped out in the factory and everything. But I said to him one day, Dad, 
This isn't for me. <laughs> it's not for me. He said, it's not for me. I said, I love the book publishing business, and I love the mail order business. And he said, be my guest. And so I came out to California to start the business. Are you Jewish, Punishan? Yes, you are Jewish. Okay. Huh? In fact, this has nothing to do with being Jewish, but mm -hmm. one of my big books was How to Write a Hit Song and Sell It. Do you know the name Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart? I remember reading about it in your mail order book. You know, sorry for the monkeys, come a little bit closer. Please take the last train to Clarksville. Yeah, yeah, I know that. I love that business. In fact, I gave up the mail order business. I gave up my publishing business for six months to go into the songwriting field. Right, you did a song about something about a broken woman. A slightly used woman. They got on the chat. That was real exciting to you for what reasons? The music business. I love songs. I just love music, country western music. I love Spanish music. I have a piano in my office with this bone of guitar. And I was taking arranging lessons at one time, how to arrange music, and I loved it. But I just love the music business. I also produced an album of music sold to MGM Records. Got a nice bit of change for that, and it was fun. And business is fun to me. I'm not dismayed by business problems, but it's a fun business. Do you come into the office still five, six days a week? They come in almost every day. What would be funner than working a business that you love? Well, it's not work. What would you do if you retired? For more exclusive interviews on business, marketing, advertising, and copywriting, go to Michael Sinoff's Hard to Find Seminars. Com. I don't know what I would do. I don't want to retire, but I would maybe do a seminar, maybe do a course at one of the local colleges. But I'm enjoying what I'm doing, enjoy the free time. And work isn't work, and every day is a challenge. And I love some of the books. I don't love every single book I publish. But I'm happy to hear how my books have changed people's lives. Tell me how you hear. Do you get letters? you get emails? I get phone calls. I get letters, I get emails telling me that my books have changed their life. I've put a lot of people in the mail order business. They ask me questions, I give them the answer. I don't charge them for the advice. Tell me about your How to Get Rich in Mail Order. How many of those books have you sold? 500,000 over the years, and they were sold through two-page magazines, full-page ads in magazines and the newspapers. And then what I did with the newspapers out here, I saved all the names and ran seminars. I ran one-day seminars teaching all those people who sent in for the book. That was the big back end to it. Could you make that ad work today in newspapers? The rates are too high. How too high are they? I'm not up to date on the rates, but it's too high in the mag, and the newspapers don't have the circulation that they used to have. The other thing, I'm not interested in doing it, but when I was, by those ads ran, I used to run every other week in the Los Angeles newspapers, and it was great. You must ask, if a person wants to publish his own book, you have to say, what's on the back end of this? When I was in the product business, well, as book business, there's a book idea, there's a book. You can sell cassette tapes, videotapes, CDs, newsletters, consultations, courses. So there's all kinds of things on the back end of a book if the person wants to publish his own book, if he's interested in doing that. Because once you bring out the book, you have to be on the sales end of that book. You have to be contacting wholesalers and bookstores. So you have to be working it if you're going to get a gold mine out of that book. You can't just bring out the book and say, well, this is going to sell. It may and it may not. The thing is that you have to spend time at it.
And that's an everyday project. It can't be done on Monday and then on Thursday and then some other time. It's not going to work. And if you're enthusiastic about your book and give some seminars on it, you can teach at the various community colleges. They're always looking for courses. In the backs of your books, how much stuff would you try and sell in the back of a book? Well, I have full-page ads in some of my books that I sell, and they do sell, so it's fine. But besides, you want the name. If you don't want to put an ad in there, you want a name. And if you're offering service, people are happy to pay for it. They're happy to pay for consultations. If you're talking about making money in the stock market, if there is such a thing right now, they'll gladly pay for consultations to be fair about it, and you'll build up a big business. We had so much business that I had a farm in the advertising agency. I couldn't handle all the calls. So I farmed an advertising agency with someone and did that for a while. You have to love what you're doing. And people, I believe, in the book publishing business love the business. And I love books. And you asked me about digital. Yeah, digital products. I'd rather have the book. I like to have a book that I like reading in my den at home and I like underlining passages that I like or ideas. And I don't like sitting in front of my computer and reading full pages on there. I'm on the computer almost all day, so I don't like to do it at night. I like the book. Are you doing any kind of on-demand printing or when you work with your printer, are you printing up a bunch of inventory? My minimum run is 3,000 runs. 3,000 Right. It used to be 5,000 when the books were selling extremely well. And do you inventory them or did he hold them I there? I inventory them. They used to inventory them until we ran out of space. So I'm running less books. It takes up less space. Are you doing any kind of direct mail where you're renting mailing lists? No, I'm not doing that now because, as you know, the postage has gone up. The printing prices have gone up extremely high. In fact, most of my advertising on my website. On the internet, I'm referring people to my website all the time. We tell them it's empowers at empowers.com. That's the email, but it's empowers.com. Go there and you'll see all my books, full page ads, in color, of course. I use PayPal and I use some credit cards as well. And it works out fine. In fact, I don't have to publish any circulars because it's all digital and I go to that and I put the name in the book. If you want to see all my books, go to rempowers.com. They go there, they go to the book. It's easy, they pay with a credit card, Visa, or MasterCard, and that's the end of it. Do you have a website person in-house handling all that? Doing your whole website? Yeah, not in-house. Not in-house. How often are you updating the site? Every time there's a change. It's updated all the time. Are you still looking for new books to publish for your site? I am. I'm always looking for new books. I'm not going to call the way I used to be, but I'm always looking for special books, books that I think are going to make it in the marketplace. In fact, I was sent a couple of manuscripts today, and we're still looking for manuscripts. We're still advertising for manuscripts. So manuscript, it's basically a book someone wants to publish, right? Right, but it's a manuscript form. Do you actually read them yourself? Someone re read them. So you have readers review them and look for winners. Right, I have three readers read them, and they send the report to the senior editor, and they're all freelance. Oh, they're freelancer. They're not in-house either. No, they're not. So what do you tell a reader to look for? How does he know when he's got a potential winner? Does he think this book is going to make it in the marketplace? And it can be in any subject at all. It doesn't have to be a book that we have done. But we happen to love the fables right now. That's doing extremely well. But if they have an inspirational book that's going to make it, here's a great book I published, 10 Days to a Great New Life. 
Yeah, it's a great title, isn't it? Yeah. It didn't make it, but it's a great title. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I assume it's a great title. It didn't make it. I think like the winner is, is, does very well. Free Magic Woods does extremely well. I do a book with Dr. Maud Cooper, Change Your Voice, Change Your Life. With Mr. Cooper, give me an example. What kind of a deal did you arrange with him? He wrote the book, and you're publishing it and selling it, right? Correct. And so he gets a royalty on it? The average royalty is from 5 to 10%. The authors get an advance, and then I pay royalties once a year. Once a year, okay. But this is what the author has to get out of a book. In fact, I can tell you about Albert Winnikoff, who wrote a book, How to Make $100,000 a Year in Sales, and wrote a book, Making Money in Real Estate. But the book is the calling card for something on the back end. If the person has a business that he's a person is a consultant in a certain business. When I published my book, How to Get Rich in Mail Order, I wasn't a mail order consultant. I was doing mail order and I wasn't doing consulting. I was too busy with my own business. I didn't want any clients. So on the cover, I wrote Melvin Powers, mail order consultant. On the cover, I gave myself a title and that came out. I called every day. People wanted to consult with me about it. It got so busy one time, I just couldn't handle it all. So I called an advertising agency. But from the books, you can sell cassette tapes on the material that's in the books. You can sell videotapes of things that are in the books. You can sell a newsletter. People are always interested in newsletters. You can become a consultant. You can run a course. So let's say you publish someone's book, and he's the expert, you're the publisher. Does he get any of the names of the buyers, or do you maintain all those? Well, if you ask for them, I would give it to them. Okay, but generally you keep the names. I keep the names. I have the names. Okay, so let's say you approach them and say, look, we've got a lot of names of people who have bought your book. Why don't you come out with a six-tape cassette program, a seminar, and how do you work it? Do you sell it and keep the profit and pay him another 10% royalty? And what you're saying is for a book publisher who maintains the rights to his book and does all the self-publishing, yes, he's got the names, he can create his own products, and he can sell to those names additional products, but how would you work it with one of your authors? If he's going to do the seminars, I would split it with him. I would split it with him on the cassette tapes and videotapes. I would pay a royalty, which we do, pay a 10% royalty. So have you done that where you've had a great success with a book and you approach the author and say, let's get something else that we can sell to the people who have bought the book and you work out a joint venture? I have done that in the past. So what kind of plans do you have for the business? Anything new or exciting? Well, what's exciting to me are the books on recovery, meaning such as The Dragon Slayer with a Heavy Heart, The Night Rusted Animal. So this is recovery. People who are recovering from alcoholism or drugs, and there are a lot of those. And I sell these books all over the world, and they are in a dozen foreign languages, which is great because now I'm getting royalties. I contact publishers in foreign languages. There's a book called The International Literary Marketplace, and you look in there and it gives all the publishers in all the countries throughout the world. So you look in there and you write to and you send them a copy of your book and you say, I'm interested in getting this book published in Spanish or Italian, German, or whatever the case happens to be. And then that's a way of getting the book published in various languages. And people hear about the books, they also write you. So there's no one way of doing it, but you can get books published in various languages. Do you have any back-end with your recovery-type books? Just to buy other books. Is this an up-and-coming market, these recovery-type books? Oh, that's been in for a very long time. 
In fact, when I published, I still published Psychosabinetics, I had free meetings for people interested in improving themselves with the books through the teaching of Psychosabinetics. In fact, I had a secretary who did nothing but put people together with one person with another from the state, say you, well, Los Angeles or any place, we would get the names of people interested in joining a psychosybernetics group. And we put these people together, it was all free, and they didn't have to pay to go there. People would send us donations, we always send it back, because I was doing something that I was very happy to be doing it, and getting people together where they didn't have to spend any money or fortune money to get help. That was just fine. You must have acquired millions and millions of names over the years. I mean, are those names any good still? I'm saving them for a short period of time because the names are old, so you got to get fresh names all the time. I'm not doing direct mail now. Yeah, so you don't have any use for the names? Well, no, because I don't want to teach any seminars, and I'm not doing that right now. Did you ever at one time rent your mailing list? Oh, yes, sure. It was sold, and they were renting out the names, sure. Was there good income from that, renting well, it? was a very good income, because the names cost you nothing to run out, and you get satisfied all the thousand, a hundred dollars a thousand. I want to give your listeners some encouragement about something. You know the song, You Light Up My Life? Yes. Debbie Boone sang it. Can you sing that for us real quick? <laughs> no, that's going to cost you money. <laughs> All right. A writer named Joe Brooks wrote it. And for two years, he could not sell that song. And then he brought it to someone. Debbie Boone heard it and became a big hit. You have to be motivated. In other words, when a person wants to publish his own book or get into the publishing field, what's your motivation? I get great delight. I would say every week someone tells me that their life has been changed because of the books that I have written and published. Or they've gone into the mail order business and they're making a great deal of money in the mail order business. There are these people that are contacting me almost every single week. They've read one of my books. They love it. Their life has been changed. And that's great feedback. That's my motivation for doing it. And so work isn't work. And I would say to people who want to go into the book publishing business, don't give up. These are about people that have made it in the business. And it's all a creative process that works. And if you test one element, you test another element. And the thing that I tell everybody, if someone else has made it in the mail order business or the publishing business, you can make it too. There aren't any secrets. Isn't that right? That's right. So if someone says, can I make a million dollars publishing my own book? The answer is absolutely yes, you can. Absolutely, positively, yes. But go to conventions. Go to the American Booksellers Convention. See what people are doing. So if someone else is making it, you can make it. And have goals for yourself. And don't think it's going to be done overnight. No one that I know, and I know virtually everybody that was in the mail field, they didn't make it overnight. It took time to do it on any field. It takes time. You have successes. You have failures. You have ads that don't work. So you have mailings that don't work. You have some that do work. But if you take the long-range viewpoint and you go to seminars and you take seminars at some of the community colleges, go to the library, read the books, they're free, and see what other people are doing and then get acquainted with some of the winners. Maybe you can get a visit to their office. People will be very happy to see you. Most people are happy to share some of the winning elements that made them winners. How important is the cover of the book? Not only the title, but the colors, the cover art of the book in the spine. Very important. What are some key elements that you want in your book cover? Well, 
have the cover so that people can read it easily and have a subtitle if you can. I'm looking at some of my own books. Sometimes I don't have a subtitle. I'm looking at my book, How to Self-Publish Your Book. The subtitle was an expert step-by-step guide to marketing your book successfully. And on the book, How to Write a Good Advertisement, the subtitle was a short course in copywriting. Do you have a special person who does the art for your covers? Yes, I have one person that does my work, and he does all my covers. I tell him what I want, and he gives me half a dozen sketches of covers that he thinks may make it, and then we go down a three, and then the three goes down one. Did you ever have any of your books like on a New York Times bestseller list? I thought you would never ask me. Psycho-Cybernetics got on the best followers. Psycho-Cybernetics did? Yes, and into the stores and into the bookstores. Psycho-Cybernetics was on it, Think and Grow Rich was on it, and Magic is Thinking Big. So I had three books on the A.S. Barnes bestseller list and other booksellers list. What can that do for your sales? When you get on that bestseller, well, can it just boosts your sales. Can it catapult them? Sure. So that's why you're thinking Grow Rich and Cybernetics were two of your best-selling books. Would you say that that bestseller list was partly responsible for it? Yes. How do you get on a bestseller? I mean, you were self-publishing. How did they even know? Because the bookstores report to the New York Times. Oh, so you're selling to bookstores, too. Oh, of course. Oh, okay. I don't know why I was thinking you were just selling to the end user through your circulars and your... I am, but there are some wholesalers. There is Ingram and there is the Noble. Oh, so you're doing volume sales to these booksellers. Correct. And there's Baker and Taylor. With a large bookseller like that, what kind of money can you make on a book when they're buying in volume? How does the margins work on that? Well, the wholesalers get 50 off, the bookstores get 40 off. So let's say the book retails for 10, the wholesalers buy for 5, the bookstores pay 6, and it costs you maybe $2 or a dollar and a half or something. Without your big distributors, have most of your sales been through these large wholesalers? Now they are because I'm not gung-ho on the mail order which are running in the ads and the magazines. These magazines cost too much. Now my interest and most people's interest are in the Internet. And that's massive. You can't beat the Internet for selling books. Just look at Amazon.com. Are any of your books on Amazon? <laughs> all of them? Not all of them, but they sure are. They go to my wife's website, then they go to Amazon and buy it for less. <laughs> oh, I see. And I met with my buyer just recently because there was a book convention in Los Angeles. I met with my buyer and he thanked me for all the business. I said, but you're taking my business. I said, I was only teasing him. I said, no, I'm happy to do it because the sale is a sale. No, that's great that Amazon is doing great and Barnes & Noble is doing great. So with your Think and Grow Rich and Psycho-Cybernetics, you made them huge successes through your direct mail. Correct. And then the wholesalers came to you because you knew you had a winner and it was going to sell in the bookstores, right? Correct. To begin with, for a very long time, I was only doing mail order, and then the bookstores started to want my books. I sold to them, and then I found out who were the wholesalers. So then I got a hold of the book wholesalers. But for a while, I was running without the book wholesalers, without the bookstores. I was running a great mail order business. One's chances of taking a title with no proven track record and getting it through the wholesalers to have a winning book is very slim. No, I wouldn't say that because all the experts didn't think that the psycho-cybernetics was going to make it. But didn't you make that big already through mail order, direct mail? I was doing both. 
when the book started to sell so much, I called more on the bookstores. The bookstores weren't my main. There was, used to be the Pickwick Bookstore in Hollywood here and some other bookstores, but it wasn't my main thrust. But when I saw that the book was selling well, I called on the book trade. I got salesmen to cover the bookstores throughout the country, and the thing took off. Were you writing long copy for that full-page ads on the show? Oh, yes, yes. That was my job, to write this long copy and make that book sell. And then I started these free cycles cybernetics courses. And I was teaching at the community colleges. And I was teaching at the church groups and synagogue groups so that it was free to go to these meetings. Who would want to leave money? I said, no, thank you. This is my contribution. I want to do this. I want to help people who are interested in self-improvement. Did you ever sell Joe Cosman's book? Sure, I still sell. How I Made a Million Dollars in You do. Have you sold a lot of those over the years? Over the years, I have. If I'm not mistaken, I've seen some old Eugene Schwartz ads where he was promoting Costman's mail-order book. I could be wrong. I'll double-check. Well, you're probably right, but Eugene Schwartz was one of these geniuses who just had the knack for it. He didn't have to read a book about how to write advertising copies. I've listened to lectures. He claims he worked harder than anybody. There was a speech he did for Phillips Publishing, and I did a recreation. I hired an actor, and I had the original. I had him listen to Eugene Schwartz's voice. You know, he's not living now. Yeah. But I had an actor recreate this entire speech, and we added a couple things and changed it. And this goes over his entire method. I should sing you that. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, you'll like that. And the guy sounds just like Eugene Schwartz. Hired an actor out of San Diego and we recreated the whole presentation. It's about an hour and a half. Well, you know how some songwriters have it. I used to write with Tommy Boyce, a voice and heart. You know, I said they wrote the song for the monkeys. Right. But he became my songwriting partner. In fact, I published a book of his called How to Write a Hit Song and Sell It. Here's how I did his book. Tommy Boyce called me one day at the office and said, I have an idea for a book. It's called How to Write a Hit Song. And I said, but that's not the end of the title. He said, it isn't? I said, what's the end of it? I said, how to write a hit song and sell it. And I became a songwriting partner because he had broken up with Bobby Hart for a while. And we outlined the book when he was in my office. And in fact, I stopped coming to my office for six months. I came one day a week. I had a great secretary, and she ran the office because this was a new challenge for me. It was a new creative challenge. And what would you all do every day, work on these songs? Yeah, we worked on the songs. We got the publishers, we went into the studios, recorded some of our songs. I remember that of the songs that we wrote became a hit. People think that because someone is a songwriter, every song becomes a hit. Our song publisher. I don't want you to think every book I published sold a million copies. Look, let me let you let me ask you this one question. After I publish this, if I sent out a email to my list and some of the students on my list, if they had some questions for you, could we schedule another, like a part two? Sure, I'd be happy to do it. I appreciate it. The thing is that I am happy to do it. You know, you asked me what you enjoy about coming in. I enjoy getting the letters of people who started businesses who weren't making a nickel. I gave them the idea, and I tried at the beginning, but after a while, I never charged anybody. That's what makes it all worthwhile, and I agree. It's a wonderful feeling to know that you've helped people, and people write me letters. I read your book 20 years ago, and I enjoy it. That's the fun and the pleasure and the enjoyment of being in a business, which isn't a business, meaning it's a business, but I'm not in attention at any time here. I have a piano and Spanish guitar in my office. I play piano in my office and play my guitar. In my office, someone comes in who plays guitar or piano and says, hey, sit down and play a song for me, and they do, and it's fun. It's a fun business. There's no work to the business.
Wonderful. With all the books you sold, you're definitely a wealthy man, even without all the money. As the answer to the question, I'd be happy to spend some time answering any questions that they have. It would be a pleasure to do it. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'll let you go, and thanks for the time. You have a wonderful weekend, and I'll be in touch. Michael, thank you for calling. I appreciate it. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is the end of Part 1. Please continue to Part 2. For more interviews like this, go to hardtofindseminars.com.